Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. So again, I'll, I'll start this with just a quick story from my, what seemed to be now, just Conference USA travels. I'm headed to All-Star this week, so no game this week, and then they've got this crazy thing now called bonus play where they put the teams in pods over the last few weeks of the season. So where you're only playing teams that are ranked 1 through 5 in, in the conference and then 6 through 10 and then 11 through 14. But either way, I did uh, an old Dominion game last week and Bryant Stith is mm. an assistant coach. And uh, and so I figured that would be good for our audience given the, the NBA side of things. A uh, lottery pick back in 1992 and, and we're going to have John Barry on in in a moment since uh, and he was he was part of that 92 draft also. And then he, he played eight years with Denver, and then he had two one-year deals, but he became so disillusioned with how the rest of the league and a lot of these players were just hanging on, signing one-year deals and, and, and trying to get as much money as they could. It just wasn't it just wasn't him, so he quit. Like He was healthy enough. He could have kept playing, but he just left. And then you know he made up for a lot of missed time with his family, and, uh, and BJ's at Old Dominion. His, his other son, Brendan, was there. Now he's, he's over in Belgium, I believe, and... He then coached his kids and won three straight high school titles in, in Virginia. Now he's an assistant with Jeff Jones at Old Dominion, and he wants to be a Division One head coach. It's, it's, it's just cool to see. It's cool to see the former players on college benches. It, it is pretty cool. And, no, I'm just hoping that you don't just decide one day to up and quit to do something more impactful than be on the catch and shoot. I'll send, I'll send you a text. Okay. Just yeah. let me know. I'll give you, you know, a you bring up John Barry, and uh, I have an interesting story about him. I, I'm working at ESPN at the time, and I get a, I'm, I'm on an off day, and I get a call from a, a guy by the name of uh, Greg Pike, Piker we call him, producer, used to be at doing uh, Inside the NBA, and then did all of the NBA shows at ESPN. Great producer, even better guy. And Piker calls me and says, hey, uh, I want you to come to LA Fitness We've actually got uh, a chance to play some two-on-two here with, with some former pretty good players. And I go, oh, yeah, who? And he said, John Barry and Chris Mullen. <laughs> I couldn't get over to that L.A. fitness quick enough. And keep in mind, Central Connecticut, just a random day. I'm hanging out at home. I drive over to that L.A. fitness, go there, show up, and we played two-on-two for a couple hours. With uh, I was paired with uh, Chris Mullen and literally – the highlight of my life. <laughs> I awesome. am I am setting a, a pick for him up top, and I'm setting the pick for him, and what do I do? I slip that screen, go right to the basket, Mullen hits me with a no-look pass, make the layup, and he goes, man, this kid can really play. He knows the game. And it was like, boom, life over. I don't need wow. to do anything else for my entire life. I've said it before. I've been married, have three kids. Life has been very good to me. I do the Catch and Shoot podcast with you every week. And nothing, nothing was better than when Chris Mullen praised me for slipping the screen. That's awesome. What shoes were you wearing? 
Oh, good call. Nothing in in the uh, yeah. I guess well, John Barry and Chris Mullen aren't known for their their gear. I wasn't either, sure if you so. if you like. I'm picturing a full on like cable guy situation where you show up <laughs> headband on. Maybe you got like pumps and and real short shorts, and you start doing suicides up and down because you don't want to pull a hammy. No, it wasn't that far off. And you know what's wild was that there was like this 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 group that's there. Like people are just like playing on the other side of the court at an LA Fitness, not realizing that it's a dream teamer and John awesome. Barry, you know, awesome. who played forever in the NBA. It was it was pretty cool. That is awesome. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot goes well with both red and white and is perfect with a workout of your choice. Our co-hosts are on both coasts and they have all of NBA Nation covered. Adam Stanko in the Bay Area and Noah Kozlov in the Big Apple. Catch and Shoot featuring Noah Kozlov and me, Adam Stanko, is presented by Pure Hoops Media. We have a new show each Wednesday featuring guests like ESPN's John Barry. Catch and Shoot is just one of our three weekly podcasts. The Wise-Ass Show with Mike Wise drops each Monday. And Mike's guest this week was unbelievable. Lakers owner Jeannie Buss. Jeannie and Mike covered every issue surrounding the Lakers, and you really need to check it out. Jeannie even told the story of buying a very special pair of pajamas that belonged to Playboy founder Hugh Hefner. And don't miss the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman, which drops every Friday. Check out all of our shows, download, listen, rate, review, and most of all, enjoy. We're joined now by the 21st overall pick in the 1992 draft. He's John Barry, 14 years in the league, eight teams, 62 playoff games. He's currently a longtime ESPN NBA analyst, radio and TV color commentator, so John Adam was just telling a story at the top, and I'm sure you remember since it's a highlight of his life. It, it goes like bar mitzvah and then this two-on-two game for Adam Stanko that he played two-on-two basketball with you, Chris Mullen, and Greg Piker. So take me through the game-winning shot, since I'm sure you remember everything about this two-on-two game like Adam does. Uh, take me through what you remember about it. Oh, that was, oh at the uh, okay one of those athletic deals we were working out. Okay, I do remember uh, that day. Um, I don't recall any game winners. Certainly not by him. Uh, <laughs> I, I would I would imagine it was Motley that hit it. Uh, but yeah, that was fun. We we went at it for a couple hours. I think this is all true. This is all true. It really was uh, one of the highlights of my life. I, I tell people all the time. I played with John Barry, Chris Mullen at an LA Fitness. And uh, I remember guys on the other end of the court just staring over, like, "Who are those guys that aren't missing at all?" And 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 Piker can shoot it as well, um, you know. JB, he's he's a shooter oh, as Piker, well. Well, Piker's got you know a lot of experience. He used to play down here in Atlanta with all of uh, the NBA guys in the summer. So Pike's got some game. But that was yeah, I do remember that. That was a long time ago. All right, my my second highlight is now that you remember that moment. So. <laughs> I do recall. I do recall. JB, what's what's the most memorable golf round you've had? Golf round? Well, I, I mean, I played Augusta once, so I mean that's the top of my list. I mean, mm. it's the most incredible place I've ever seen, and to be able to get a chance to play it, which is not easy. Um, the one time I played it, I, that, that that round stands stands out. I've had many. Uh, rounds with you know fun people and great golf courses and what have you but playing Augusta is the best how did you get on and were the details of the day 
Well, my former brother-in-law was on the PG. Is on uh, now. He's a senior to remember, but he set it up. I actually played with Tim Wakefield from the Boston Red Sox, Pittsburgh Pirates, and yeah. everybody knows him up in the New England area, obviously. Uh, so it was me and Wakey, and um, oh, the Augusta member. So uh, it was unbelievable time. You know, when we've asked people uh, about you, John, they they say you know you got to ask him about golf and you got to ask him about fantasy baseball. So you bring up Wakefield. Uh, what what what's uh, spurred your interest in fantasy baseball? Uh, I don't know. I just uh, you know being a GM is something that would be a lot of fun. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to entertain it now at my ripe old age of 49, but. Uh, I don't know. I just always like putting together stuff. I do fantasy football, and I've done fantasy baseball with a bunch of guys from the Denver media. Um, and I don't know. It's just fun to put put together, and uh, it gives me something to follow in the summer. Uh, you know how dead it is sports-wise in the summer. Uh, so to be able to look at box scores in the paper uh, just gives me something to do. I heard you had a pretty rough season last year. Uh, well, I stink every year. Uh, I think I got in the top five though out of twenty teams for the first time in about eight years. So oh. it was a banner. It was a banner year for me. Oh. You you mentioned uh, getting into the front office. Have you ever been approached about a front office job? Uh, no, I've I've not. I've not really put any feelers out to do that. Um, I don't want to work all year round. Basically, what it comes down to, I like oh. I like doing this. And as soon as that last finals game is over, I'll see you on opening night. And I like it that way. I get to spend some time with my family and get to play golf all summer long. And uh, I, I've never lost a game uh, since I retired. So that's <laughs> uh, that's all been good. <laughs> John, viewing the landscape in, in today's NBA, uh, when you look around at how certain executives have sort of dominated the league and other guys seem to get trampled on, uh, how would your approach be to to being an executive in in today's NBA? Uh, well, I, I'm a guy that uh, I believe in proven commodities, so I, I wouldn't be a guy that would want to build through the draft. Um, I, obviously, you need two minimum of two superstars to win, you know, nowadays, and it seems like it's uh, three that uh, have been dominant, obviously, over the last six, seven, eight years. Uh, so you have to have your your couple of stars. There's no doubt about that, and then. You know, it's about just getting guys that are willing to compliment them or that compliment them that can do things uh, that help them and uh, make, you know, these great players make the game that much easier for these guys. They might not be the most talented guys in the world, but they can provide something uh, that can help a group. And that's the chess man, and that's what you gotta you got to do. That's what, I mean, everybody says Bob Myers, uh, you know, or the Golden State Warriors have all the talent in the world, but... You know, Bob Myers has grabbed the right guys that have just gelled together and and, and the pieces on the bench and the centers that they've had uh, over the past four or five years, all different ones. It's about, you know, doing some patchwork, getting the right guys in there that uh, that are willing to commit uh, to one common goal, and it's not about themselves. And that's the trick, finding those type of guys. Does being a broadcaster, as you've been for so long, does it help in – becoming a general manager if you wanted to be one? I would think, sure, yeah. I mean, uh, an opportunity to see, you know, so many teams and you're working so many games throughout the season, uh, you know, that and you couple that with your playing uh, experiences. 
Um, you know, I, I played 14 years and played for what, eight different teams. So I played on good teams, bad teams, mediocre teams, great teams. Played for many, many different coaches that have many, many different philosophies, um, many different players. So, uh, you know, you couple all that together and, and getting a chance now to step back and watch the game uh, from the sideline uh, when you don't have an invested interest and you're just just watching on a nightly basis, certainly uh, a lot to take out from that. Yeah, and I want to I want to talk about some of those coaches and in, in your career also. But one of those coaches, the guy that you ended your career with, was Jeff Van Gundy. Is is Jeff Van Gundy a good head coach, or would he be a good head coach in today's game? Uh, I well, he was uh, the best head coach that I ever played for. Um, hmm bar none um yeah I, I i think the game's completely different now but I, I think because of his basketball knowledge uh there's be some things he'd have to adapt to no question he's not gonna be able to coach the same that he did uh, however long ago he was out seven eight years whatever it was um but he's as smart a guy basketball wise that uh, i've ever been around and so there'd be no doubt in my mind uh that jeff van gunny could still be an elite coach in this league how about his, how about how about his personality? We know we know we understand the basketball acumen, but his, but his personality with today's player. Well, no, look, Jeff. Jeff is a guy that if you're not serious about the game of basketball, uh, you might not like playing for him because it's a job. He takes it serious. That's all he's concerned about, uh, winning. And there's some guys that maybe aren't about that, as we know in the league. So. If you're not serious about wanting to compete, wanting to win, wanting to get better, willing to practice and and, and work at your craft, then that's not the coach for you. And uh, we had a we had a tremendous group in Houston my last you know two years uh, of guys. Unfortunately, we're a lot older. Had we been five years younger, uh, we would we would have had a, a, a real great run uh, and been a championship team in my estimation. As for another coach that, that you played for who has been significant over the last few years, Rick Carlisle, you got him early on in his head coaching tenure. Uh, what stood out during those early days? I believe it was his first uh, head coaching job. Yep. came over from in- Indiana. Uh, he was assistant to Larry Bird. and uh, I believe Detroit had won 32 games the year before he took over. Um, I was in Sacramento. I got traded in the summer. Uh, suffice to say, I was not real happy about it. Uh, I got a call on the golf course. Uh, actually, I was on the ninth hole, and uh, two guys came out from the pro shop and said, "Hey, there's an emergency. You got to call your wife." And I first, you know, you first think something's wrong with my kids or something's wrong with her. Or something, you know, and she said, "You've been traded." And I was like, "Oh my god!" I said, "Where?" And she said, "Detroit." Uh, so I just hung up, hung up the phone and uh, proceeded to have the worst back nine I could possibly have. But that was a whole other story. So anyway, I wound up getting traded there. Uh, Cliff Robinson came in. Uh, Cliff was a tremendous player for many years. Uh, he had come in. Uh, I believe Corliss Williams was already there. Chucky Atkins. Uh, so Ben Wallace. Um, so it was. We we had not. We had no idea what to expect. Uh, certainly. To win 50 games that year was remarkable, uh, and I believe we were a 500 team. I think we were 16 and 16, and still won 50 games. So we got on a great roll in the second half, um, and everybody just gelled, you know. And Rick and 
Rick did a heck of a job that year, won 50 again. The next year we lost in the Eastern Conference Finals, and then uh, he moved on. And, and then you oh, – go ahead, Adam. I was just going to say, what what was the common thread that you, you found for, for coaches that had success in the NBA? Uh, talent. <laughs> First and <laughs> yeah. foremost, uh, I, didn't, I didn't see many coaches uh, that were that great with three-legged horses. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, uh, number one talent, but you know, it's about, uh, a lot of it's about the group. Um, you know, you gotta have a nice bit, uh, mix of veterans, uh, and young, younger talent. Uh, but guys that are professional and, you know, I, I was on, I was in places and I'm not going to name names, but there were, you know, guys that tried to walk on, walk all over coaches and disrespected coaches in front of others in the locker room. And then. You know, the next, one guy does it, and then the next day another guy does it. And then two weeks down the road, another guy does it. And you've got mayhem. And, you know, I want on some poor teams that, uh, you know, guys, if guys don't respect the game, don't respect the head coach, uh, you can have a real problem on your hands. When you, when you started your career getting drafted by the Celtics, and I want to relate this to Anthony Davis now and, and, and players taking control of their own situations, when you get drafted by the Celtics and – and the money wasn't right. That's before money was slotted for rookies wherever they were drafted. How do you how do you relate that to say what Anthony Davis demanding a trade uh, or other guys saying I don't want to be here, get me out? Uh, well, my situation was different. They they offered me a two year guarantee contract. All I wanted was three. It's the same money. It wasn't about money. It was about okay. just getting another year. It might at, at that time. I didn't know that I could make it more than two years in the NBA. So I just wanted one more year of guaranteed money. Hmm. And uh, there were guys behind me that were guaranteed four years. And they offered me two. So I just wanted one more year. I wanted to be a Celtic in the worst way. I had a place already picked out. I was going to live with one of my great friends who's a brilliant genius on Wall Street that lived in Cambridge. And I was ready to go. And that, that really hurt me. Uh, because then I got traded in Milwaukee and I never really got treated like a first round pick. And, you know, you're around the league getting treated like a first round pick is uh, enormous for guys like, like myself that, uh, you know, I'm not going to be a star. I'm not going to be, uh, you know, a starter. Uh, I'm going to be a guy that's just got to work hard to, to hang in there and be in the league. But that first round, uh, getting that treatment, uh, makes a lot of difference because coaches are pulling for you. Your GM's pulling for you. Uh, and when you don't get that, uh, it's a very, very tough road for guys to make this league. Um, as for AD, look, you know, guy, guys uh, have the right to play where they want to play. And, uh, uh, you know, to ask for a trade, that that's his prerogative. Uh, he has to play out his contract next year if they don't move him this summer. Uh, so it is what it is. It's a very awkward situation. Um, you know, to make it public uh, – Obviously, they, they thought they had a plan. Rich Paul and, and Clutch Sports or whatever uh, thought they were going to be able to force their hand and get him to L.A. Uh, sooner than later. Uh, that didn't work. Uh, so now it's very, very awkward. Uh, so we'll see what happens this summer. But he has a right to do that. Kevin Durant had a right to go to Golden State. He's a two-time champion, probably going to be three-time in a row champion. Um, he wants to win. He wants to play with great people. He wants to be in a great environment. So I can't fault a player for wanting to do that. Did you regret how it, how you handled it in Boston? Uh, well, if I'd known I was going to get 14 years, then I would have took the deal. You know, <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I, I you know, at the time, 92 was pretty much, uh, I mean, Larry Bird had just retired. I think that was Kevin McHale in Paris' last year. Uh, and the Lake and the Celtics pretty much were, you know, they were gone. That was it. That was the end of the run. And the 90s were brutal uh, for Boston. So it was a bad time. And, you know, God knows what would have happened if I took the two-year deal. And, you know, if I didn't get an opportunity or if I didn't play well, I could have been out of the league. So, no, I, I can't regret that. Again, I, I would have loved to have been a Celtic. There's no question about that. But uh, it turned out to be okay. It took me, you know, six years till I really found my niche to get into a rotation and be a, a part of a team and play meaningful minutes. And uh, I had to work hard for those first five to get to that six, I can tell you that. Obviously, tremendous success over those those 14 years. As you talk about, once you got into the swing of things and playing regularly, with your different playoff teams, which – which uh, which playoff exit would you say hurt the most? Well, they're all no good. Uh, I mean, just starting at the last uh, year of my career, well, it was the second to last year, 06, we were in Houston, and I, and I mentioned that we had a great group of guys, and we lost Juan Howard to an injury, unfortunately, right before uh, the playoffs started. But we went into Dallas and won the first two games in Dallas. Uh, and came home with a 2-0 lead. And I don't know, I, I'm pretty sure it's about eight or nine teams in the history of the NBA playoffs have uh, come back from 0-2 down after losing your first two home games. And we had two leads in games three and four late in the ball game and lost them both and wound up losing that series in seven games to Dallas. And like I said, I, I just believe that we had a, a real special group uh, in Houston that year, and we could have probably done some damage uh, if we gotten by that series. But uh, that one hurt, and uh, you know uh, we got to the Eastern Conference Finals when I was in uh, Detroit. And I was on a Laker team, even though I wasn't a, a big part of it playing wise. We lost in the uh, Western Finals to Utah, uh, but there's no playoff loss that feels good. I can tell, uh, assure you of that. <laughs> yeah, I want to I want to ask you about that Laker series in a moment, but uh, when you when you mentioned the the Rockets Mavs series that year did you know did you have a feeling after Game Five when it you know, a close loss in Game Five that that Game Six and Game Seven were going to be as lopsided as they ended up being? Uh, no, I mean that was a, every game was great, and then yeah, we came home and, and won handily in Game Six, and then I think Game Seven was a forty point game if I'm not yeah. mistaken. I, okay. I try <laughs> to forget about that yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we all just absolutely let go of the rope in the second half of the ball game. But uh, yeah, no, it was uh, a tremendous series. Uh, again, games three and four could have gone either way, and all we needed basically was one of them to get a three zero or a three one lead, and uh, we probably would have won that series. But yeah, it, it's very strange to see you know five really good games, and then uh, game six and seven just uh, be total flops. What was it like being around Yao every day? Love it. That guy was the best. Uh, smart. Uh, spoke the language far better than he led the media. Let it <laughs> led on to the media, uh, so he didn't have to do all the interviews. Uh, but Yao was man, was he talented? I mean, at his size, shooting ability, uh, he could handle the ball. Uh, he was. Ter- it's a shame uh, the injuries, uh, you know, that he went through to shorten his career because uh, he was special and. Uh, as good a team, I mean, he cared so much about winning and his teammates, and uh, just couldn't be a nicer guy than Yao Ming. It was a real treat to be able to play with him. 
give me an example of, of that shows how much he he cared about his teammates. Uh, well, I know I, I wasn't there at the time, but Steve Francis, when he got traded, I mean, literally, uh, Yao was in tears. Uh, when he lost teammates, uh, you know, I, I think he huh. felt like he let them down and he put it on himself that guys got traded because they weren't doing well enough. And he put it on himself. I mean, he was just that stand-up of a guy. And uh, uh, he was, he was uh, terrific. And, man, what a talent. And then I want to ask about that that Lakers jazz series. I mean, that was a sweep in 98. What was the, what, what was the locker room like during that series with Shaq and Kobe? How do we stop this Carl Malone and John Stockton pick and roll? <laughs> literally like guys couldn't sleep. I mean, Del Harris was our coach and they literally put Shaq in pick and roll every time down the floor. It was unbelievable. Uh, and just Shaq, Shaq always had a problem because Shaq never came out on the screen and roll, and he would just sag back, and Stockton could just pick you apart. And it was either him just pulling up for jump shots, him going to the lane, hitting back Carl. I mean, whatever. It was just it was poetry in motion, as we know. For many, many years, it was the most dangerous play in basketball. For so many years, the two of those guys were so great. And uh, we couldn't stop it. And it was four games of just couldn't find an answer. And hmm. uh, so we went home. Just like you were getting the chance to watch Yao every day and seeing his talent, what what kind of things did you see from Shaq that, you know, people now as they as they look back in history sort of have have missed or or misunderstood? Uh, I mean, just total dominance, uh, an incredible athlete, uh, the speed, the agility, the ball handling, uh, he could do it all, and uh, he was just an unstoppable force. When he got the ball down in pain, it was a done deal. And his strength was uh, just like no, no other I've ever seen. I mean, he's, he's been the most dominant big uh, that we've ever seen since Will Chamberlain. Uh, that's not even a, a discussion. Do you, think, you, do you think he reached his his potential? Uh, yeah, I, would, I mean, I, I think he did all right for himself. Uh, you know, <laughs> yes. I, I, you know, he, he wasn't a, a guy that was in the gym two hours prior to practice like a Yao Ming was uh, and he wasn't staying two hours after practice um, I mean a, a lot of that too you know if you if you think about kids that are like a foot and a half taller than every other kid in the fifth and sixth grade it, it's hard to develop because you don't have to right I mean you, you just go down there and you're so much bigger and stronger and faster and you, you, you don't have to work on a lot of other skills and that's basically what Shaq was. Is like, just get down in the paint. We'll throw it to you and just beat the crap out of everybody and dunk the ball. I mean, that's all he did. And it was effective enough so that he didn't have to do a whole lot of other things. How did he never lead the league in rebounding? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I guess he, he didn't get a lot of offensive rebounds because he dunked everything. Right, yeah, that's so true. So he, he didn't miss around the rim, and yeah. he shot a high percentage. I'm sure he was in the 60s uh, for career. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm not a, I, I really couldn't explain that one, but he did everything else pretty darn good. Yeah, yeah I'd say. Um, JB, you mind if we go back to uh, some time at Georgia Tech? If I can remember that back that far, sure. <laughs> um, 92 against USC and the and the James Forrest buzzer beater in round two. You had you had six threes that night. 
what was the what was the play call coming out of that timeout? <laughs> they were usually out of a Bobby Crimmins timeout. There weren't many plays called. It was just like a <laughs> mismatch. You go over here, I'll go over there. Um, well, actually, so we had the ball underneath our own basket with uh, 2.9 seconds left, and we ran some sort of curl. I, I came around a curl at midcourt, was trying to run up the sideline, and Matt Geiger threw it to me, and they tipped the ball out. So now we get it at half court, just inside the half court line on our side. And we didn't have any timeouts. So literally, we're, we're guys are running around like chickens with their head cut off. We had no idea what to do. Oh. And uh, uh, Matt Geiger threw it in again. He winds, he winds up looking and finds James Forrest down the sideline, and he turns and fires it in, nothing but net, his only three of the year to that point. Oh, wow. And uh, we beat Harold Miner. Yeah, and uh, USC. It was uh, it was incredible, miracle in Milwaukee. Well, what was that? What was that locker room like? Oh, that was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, we we were running all around the court, and I think they were a two seed. So yeah. it, was a, it was a major upset. You know, obviously Harold Miner was scoring ridiculous amount of points, and I think we held them to under twenty. Um, and so it was uh, it was incredible, just total mayhem. And then you get the move to the next week, and you know, it, when I went to school, nothing was more important to me than playing in the NCAA tournament and getting to a Final Four. And uh, we got to the next weekend, but that was about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that next weekend, you guys are up four with 30 seconds to play in regulation. Oh, thanks, man. What are you guys and, throwing needles <laughs> in my and, uh, I mean, John Barry, no, this is your I, life. I, yeah. No, well, I, I had 29 in that game, I think. Yep. Yeah. You did. And that, that, that hurt. Uh yeah, we were up four or thirty to go, and uh, we had a loose ball. And you know what? Me and Travis Best uh, are still friends. Uh, see him here in Atlanta. He's actually coached uh, with me and my son's uh, NYO football years ago. Uh, we talk about a play that there was a loose ball, and we both were right there. And he yelled, "I got it!" I yelled, "I got it!" And we both kind of fumbled it. Um, and it went to a Memphis player, and it wound up kicking it to Anthony Hardaway. He made like a 28-footer for three. And if one of us gets possession, we win that game. And we play Cincinnati uh, to go to the Final Four. So that was painful, no doubt about it. I, I think I had 19 in the first half of that game, and I stunk in the second half. I made 10. And uh, I've never watched that game because uh, hmm. I, I used to go to bed at night thinking about that game. I really do because, like I told you, uh, Going to the Final Four was something that uh, I wanted more than anything in the world. Well, in the uh, it, real, real quick, Adam, in, in the in the New York Times, I was I was reading it today, and it said Barry finished with a game high twenty nine, but he'll remember the three points he didn't get with his team down eighty seventy seven with twenty seconds left, missing a three point shot, and Memphis State grabbed the rebound. So, so how long, how long after that were you were you not thinking about those three points? How long did it take? Uh, I don't, I don't quite. Remember. I think I was maybe at the top of the key of that one, but I, that 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 wasn't really the shot that okay. uh, that that I remembered. I I just I just remember you know blowing a four point lead with thirty seconds to go. Um, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't recall. I missed a lot of shots in the second half. Like I told you, I only had ten, <laughs> so it was uh, it, again. I, I I can't watch the game. It was my mm-hmm. last college game, and I just I can't watch it. 
Well, on the plus side, I, I didn't mean to bring up all the negativity, but on the plus <laughs> side, six of those six of the guys on that team went on to play in the NBA, mm-hmm. um, and you were the leading scorer on that on that Georgia Tech team with seventeen a game. So obviously, pretty impressive. And we'll throw in the the positives. I in terms of of locker rooms and and teams, I'm I'm super curious about this current Lakers team, um, with everything that's gone on and and the trade. I don't even want to call them rumors, but but the trade news that was out there regarding the Lakers and all the names being put out. Um, what does that feel like inside an NBA locker room? How do guys react to it? Um, you know, you, obviously you have experience with all of that. So, so what's that like inside the locker room when all this trade talk is, is taking place? Well, I, I mean, guys can handle it uh, in different ways. You know, obviously I'm not in that locker room. I'm not sure you know, what stance LeBron's taking on it, because obviously this seems to be driven by his, his people. Um, it's a younger group of guys. Uh, I, I think when you're older in the league, it's really water under the bridge. You just continue to go about and do your business uh, because it is, you know, it is a business. And uh, I think guys can get affected by it. There's no question. Uh, and I think guys can uh, actually you know, use it as motivation and fuel to even play better. Uh, but it, it, I don't know. It, it's hard not to take things personal. And guys will act like they don't. But it is personal. If a team trades you, that means they don't think you're good enough for them. Regardless how you want to spin it, they feel like they can do better than you. And that, that that's something that can bother people. There's no doubt about it. And anytime you go to another team – and you play against a former team, uh, anybody that tells you that they think it's just another game, uh, I think they're they're lying to you. Who is who is the guy that the personality that you played with most closely resembles how LeBron carries himself? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I played with Kobe, I guess. Just, I mean, just dominant personality guys. You know, Kobe Bryant, certainly. Yeah, because I was thinking about how, you know, it, it's it's basically LeBron. You know, the the Lakers make this offer, but it's, you know, I mean, LeBron's pulling strings. So then the guys have to, not just play for the Lakers, but play with LeBron, and how that can impact just day to day being around the locker room and then being out there on the floor with them. Sure, I mean, there's got to be some sort of impact, you know, but. I mean, I'm not comparing LeBron and Kobe because Kobe, uh, that, that's not what Kobe was about when mm-hmm. he was there. Now, I mean, uh, he, he wasn't pulling strings to get guys out of there. And all, as far as we know, I, I mm-hmm. don't think. I mean, I think there were some difficult years to play with him, uh, as guys would tell you, towards his latter part of his career. Uh, but you talk about drive and wanting to get better and being in a locker room and pushing – uh, you know, being on the floor after practice and pushing guys to get better. Uh, not many like Kobe Bryant. Yeah. Um, switching to the Eastern Conference, who's the favorite right now? Uh, you know, I I like Milwaukee a lot. I, uh, you know, I, I know they're at the top now, and maybe people are starting to take notice. But man, they they are good, and I I love getting them getting Miritich. Uh, if he can stay healthy, I think that's a huge pickup. Um, I love Mike Budenholzer, what he's been able to do. He was successful uh, here in Atlanta. Um, and Giannis is uh, hes just incredible to watch. A, a guy that doesn't shoot the ball very well to be able to dominate as he does. 
uh, can get in the paint at any time. I think he's averaging like 17, 18 a game in the paint, which is the most in Shaq uh, way back when. Uh, yeah, he's shooting he's 58% a, he's a dominant from horse. the floor. Yeah, and he doesn't shoot the ball very well. I right. mean, uh, it's it's quite remarkable. And Middleton's had a heck of a year. I love Brogdon. Uh, Bledsoe's played very well. Arguably could have been the uh, replacement for Oladipo as an all-star. <clears throat> so they got, a, they got a lot of pieces. Uh, Lopez now shooting threes. And uh, I think they're very, very dangerous. Can any of those teams that are near the top of the Eastern Conference give the Warriors this season a run for the title? It's funny that you say give them a run because you're already saying the Warriors are going to win, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that what everybody says? It's it's the Warriors and everybody else, which I do believe. Um, you know, Boston's played them uh, very, very well uh, over the past three seasons. Um, Philly just beat them out in Golden State, mm-hmm. uh, but it's regular season. And Milwaukee actually won out there. Toronto won out there in Golden State. Uh, so they've all had, you know, a measure of success, and I don't think that, uh, you know, they're just going to bow down and they think the Warriors are that great. They're not going to play. Uh, I think they present some challenges, all all of them, all four of them, uh, no question. But the bottom line is, how do you beat the team this good four times? Exactly. One or two, I can maybe see it. I just can't see four times uh, that the Golden State Warriors are going to get beat in a series against anyone. All right, so here's here's the most serious question. Who would you rather have dinner with on the road, Adam Amin or Mark Kessischer? Oh, that's not cool. They're both <laughs> my partners, man. They're both my partners. Oh, gosh. I'm not, I'm not going there. All right, when's uh, when's your next round of golf? Uh, I'm playing tomorrow. I, I don't have to leave till Thursday for All-Star in Charlotte, so uh, I'll be playing tomorrow. Hopefully it reaches 55 degrees, and then it'll be all good. Nice, nice. Um, any, anything, anything you're working on on your game at this point? Oh, everything. I, I change my swing every winter. Oh. It's, it's cold and you're just worried about so many different things. And I just can't wait for the weather to turn and then my game turns right back. We'll be ready to rock. So we always like to end uh, our interviews with guests on the Catch and Shoot podcast by asking them, Game 7, life on the line, you need someone to catch catch and shoot for a game winner. You can't choose yourself all time. Who are you going with? Ooh, there, that's a laundry list of guys. Um, man, I, I I don't well. Can I? I have to go with my childhood idol, Chris Mullen. I love it. I love Molly, it. Mully can stroke it, as you know. I do know. Both of you I, guys can. I thought, I thought I mean, you were going to say James Forrest. <laughs> it would not. Well, yeah, if he had a, if he could only make his first three ever, maybe James. But I mean, there's a lot of guys. Look, I mean, Clay, Steph, obviously two of the great shooters of all time. Even Del Curry would be a guy. Jeff Hornacek. I mean, there's so many guys that could stand there and shoot. But Mully was the man too. John, we appreciate it. Thanks so much for the time. You got it, guys. Guys, explain this to me. I know Darlene said, explain this to me, and we got to move on with this. But aside from John Barry, I'm still focused on your on your live read that you did um, <laughs> before, right right before this. And it's it's funny because your voice is different. And it reminds me of, 
like when I first started dating my wife and she would say, talk dirty to me in your broadcasting voice, like as a joke, like not actually like when we're in bed or anything. And it was like really embarrassing. And like she'd say it like in the kitchen or something. And I'm like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Like my voice isn't any different. So now that now that you you, you put on your broadcasting voice, I'm, uh, I'm interested to hear what goes on in, uh, <laughs> in your house tonight. Wow. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. Once in a while, my wife asked me to to put on the broadcasting voice. And, and, it, took, and it took you four tries to read it, so maybe that's right. indicative of... It was of... supposed to be a live read. People don't know that now. <laughs> all right, so uh, maybe they explain this to me, is how does it take you four tries to read a paragraph? But as Darlene says, we'll, we'll talk hoops. Explain this to me, Adam. The All-Star Game. James Harden could be the MVP, but may not be in the crunch time 10 that are on the floor in a close all-star game. It's absolutely possible, Noah. I mean, you think about some of the talent in the NBA right now and certainly playing in this all-star game with LeBron, KD, Clay, Lillard, Anthony Davis, Kawhi, Kyrie, and that's just Team LeBron. Um, there's a very good chance that, that Harden doesn't, doesn't crack that five. I'd like to see him out there at the end because there's nothing I love more than when James Harden is passing the basketball. So I'd love to see him out there, but there's a very good chance that we're not seeing him matching up when Team LeBron goes against Team Giannis uh, in the last couple of minutes of that game. All right, so here's my, here's my crunch time 10. So for Team Giannis, I, th- I think it's fairly clear that it's Giannis, Paul George, Embiid, Steph, and Russ. I think that's mm-hmm. I think that's the five, and for LeBron, you could go with. So if it's Harden, you go LeBron, KD, Kawhi, Harden, Lillard. But then you really you don't have anybody matching up against Embiid. So I would I would go LeBron, KD, AD, Kawhi, and Lillard as my five, and not have Harden out there on the floor, because I don't think I don't think the stuff that you know, that works every day with Harden would work against Giannis, Paul George, Embiid, Steph, and Russ. That's fair. But I also think that when guys have to help, it means that other guys in an all-star game are, and I love that we're overanalyzing this, are in situations where they're one-on-one, they're iso ball. And if he's got to go one-on-one, look, look at what happens with, with James Harden. I'll also point out that, uh, LeBron not having Kyrie in the ball game at the end of the game. Oh, drama. Could be interesting. Right, because uh, then, right, oh, right. So so we did say last week, and then we're going to move on. Uh, we did say last week that Giannis could be a hero. Well, he failed being a hero by not taking Anthony Davis first, <laughs> and he took Chris Middleton, so he failed. And then he allowed this some this Fakakta trade with Ben Simmons. It's nonsense. Nonsense. Hey, uh, Noah, explain this to me. There's nothing the NBA can do to handle tampering as written in the rule books. Yeah, I don't think there is anything. So, like, where does it end and then how do you police it? Because, I mean, you don't want to get to the point where it's like the NFL and, I mean, they're not on the tampering side of things, but punishments are just arbitrary. So, I mean, the, the definition is that, that no player, coach, front office employee management can entice another player to join another team. All right, so like when LeBron says, 
it's off during All-Star Weekend. All right, well, that's what... Okay, so that time is just understood. All right, well, then, what about in the summer when the guys are playing pickup? Or uh, are you making sure that so-and-so is not FaceTiming the other guy or that Draymond's not sitting out in the parking lot? Text... You know, it, it's it's impossible. So it's up to the players and the and owners and, and, and GMs just not to make a clown show out of it. Don't don't embarrass the league. Don't embarrass your employer if you're the players. Don't embarrass you know management by putting your teams in these situations. Just just grow up a little bit. Grow up a little bit. But listen, we talked to Bobby Marks on the podcast recently, and he said this stuff happens, as you point out, all the time. So it's this weird, tricky situation where, yes, these conversations are being had. You just don't want them to be so public. And I think any time it involves like the sales team, that's usually when it's season ticket sales. Those are usually the groups that get themselves in trouble, uh, i.e. the Knicks photo to season ticket holders. Oh, that was so great. When they show Mitchell Robinson and Kevin Durant. No, it was so great. So great. Uh, Explain this to me. Your Eastern Conference favorite right now is a team that isn't currently in first place? Yes. Well, I think the Sixers are are the favorite to win the East right now. I I really do. I know that, at least my favorite, I know that Marcus Saul's debut in Toronto was awesome, and he fits in perfectly. Obviously, the Bucs made some, some moves of their own, you know, George Hill, Miritich, I, I think they're scary good right now, and they only got themselves better. It was interesting how, like, the the moves made by those those uh, top four teams, we'll call them, and the, the Celtics really didn't make any moves, but let's just call them the, the top three of the top four teams, rather, Sixers, Raptors, and Bucks. Not only did they make major moves, but they made major moves that actually helped them, don't necessarily make it questionable chemistry, which mm-hmm. is so rare. And to see it happen three times was, I think, the coolest part of the trade deadline. Uh, but the fly in the ointment could be the Pacers here. No. Yeah, totally. Because if so, right now the Pacers are sitting in the third spot. And if the Pacers end up holding on to that third spot, which would be remarkable. And, and uh, I mean, because right now I'm thinking it's Mike Malone, coach of the year, but like I, and maybe even give it, I mean, Nate McMillan's got to finish in the top three at that point. Um, if they finish in that third spot, that means that it could be Sixers, Celtics, four or five. So mm-hmm. one of those teams is out in the first round, which would be a disaster for either one of them. Because I thought going into the season, and I know we've talked about this before, I had Milwaukee, Boston, Philly, Toronto, Indiana, and Washington as six teams in the Eastern Conference that going into the season would tell you, if we don't get to the Eastern Conference Finals, it's a failed season. And I think then the and I the Pacers and the Pacers aren't going to get to the Eastern Conference Finals, but they could make it a failed season for uh, for the Sixers or the Celtics pretty early on. I think it's going to be a failed season for the Wizards under that uh, setup there. No. Yeah, yeah, we're out we're out on the limb. Um, explain this to me that the All Star Game format should go back to East versus West. I, I'm a purist, Noah. I am a purist, and I want it to go back. And I know that things change and people are progressive, but the truth of the matter is, I know this was changed um, October of 2017, I think, for last year's All-Star Game, and we'll see it again this year. And I think a lot of people are excited that they made the, the – once they made that decision to have that All-Star Draft public, 
Like, I, I don't know that we're going back because yeah, I think exactly. the NBA loves the showcase. But, I, I mean, look, in the East right now, you've got Kyrie, you've got Kawhi, Giannis, Blake, Embiid, Ben Simmons, Kemba. Like, to me, I don't think it's as unfair as it was, and I'm not alone in this, of course, as it was when they made this move because it was looking too lopsided towards the West. Things shift. It's cyclical. I would love to go back. I'm a purist, but I understand why it makes for good TV now. Yeah, but even, but even if, like, I, I was kind of against it in the first place because even if um, you had 30 straight years of the West dominating, I don't know, I mean, maybe the East, maybe the Eastern Conference players actually just try and maybe there's there ends up yes. being pr- pride on the line in the All-Star game. And then you get, all right, a whole bunch of Eastern Conference players trying really hard and then the Western Conference guys not really trying very hard and still winning. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I do think that uh, given the... Uh, given this format, if they're going to go to this, if they're going to continue with this, then you can't have 12 in the East, 12 in the West. Also, also, I think they should expand rosters to begin with since they've expanded them in, in the NBA. But why, if you're not going to do East-West, why have to have 12 representatives from the East, 12 representatives from the West? There you go. Agreed. I think we're about to go off the rails. So, Noah, as we go off the rails... I'm curious about uh, Valentine's Day in the Kozlov house because for me personally, it's it's sort of this thing where my wife kind of dances around it, says she doesn't really care, but I know that it means a lot to her. And so for that reason, we have to keep our, our better halves happy. So I'm going to make sure that I do what I do every year, and that is I make last-minute plans to find a restaurant that probably won't accept reservations and then go to the second restaurant and third until I finally come up with a restaurant that will just seat us, and I'll tell her that I was working on it for weeks. That's that's my plan, and she doesn't listen to this pod, so I think I'm safe. Wait, wait, and she, she buys that? No, no, but it's sort of this unwritten agreement that there's a lot of things I'm a failure at, and she just accepts, so we just keep that on the, on the list of those things. You, you, must, you must tell her in your broadcaster voice. Like, <laughs> hey, this is my, my fifth choice. I, I thought you were going to say this is my fifth try. Yeah. This read. I couldn't read the phone number on this for the restaurant. I, I kept dialing a gas station. Um, La Hacienda. Right, so Valentine's Day, it's, it was never – so I, I kind of like it was never it was never a big deal in my house as a kid. Like we never celebrated Valentine's Day. Now that I have a daughter who's in pre in preschool, tonight before we recorded this, she was just filling out Valentine's for every kid in our class. Like it, they have to do this. To, and she's she wants to host a Valentine's Day party at our house. Um, wow. It's, oh my goodness. That's <laughs> I mean, serious. all she ever wants to do is host events. <laughs> host events here. She's like she's a little party planner and she's a chef and all that stuff. But anyway, so but All Star always always came over Valentine's Day. So when I worked when I worked at the NBA and I was going to All-Star for so many years, you would get out at All-Star on that Monday. Bef- oh, so you were there the whole week. So you were always gone on Valentine's Day. So mm-hmm. I never, so for years, like for like 10 years, like I, I never celebrated Valentine's Day. In high school, I remember, I, I think I remember like downplaying Valentine's Day. Like pretty, you know, when it, you know, when it would get kind of closer by doing, because I've always been a big like, uh, you know, just like I bring my wife flowers every week at home, and so I, that was kind of like my, I, I would, I would kind of do that, and it would like, oh well, 
you know, Noah tells me he loves me every day or he brings flowers every week. So like Valentine's Day isn't that important. So I, so it's kind of like just morph. It's kind of morphed into that. I don't, I'm, so I'm not going to be there this year. So I don't think, I mean, I, I, I guess, should I ask, hey, Marissa, do I, <laughs> should ask her, do I, I don't, maybe I'll make her a card tomorrow. Ask her I, in your broadcasting voice. We've got, we've got, uh, we've got construction paper out my daughter's little art table. Maybe I'll just, maybe I'll make her a card tomorrow and, uh, and leave, and leave it for her. Cause I do, do that. every time I leave the house or when I go on a trip, I'm pretty much gone every week. I always leave notes around the apartment for my wife and, and, and daughter in different places where I know they'll, they'll find them individually. Um, so maybe I just do more of that on Valentine's Day. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's not a big deal to me. You are a serious romantic. I thought the most romantic person involved with this podcast was our producer, Bruce Bernstein. But instead, it's Noah Kozlov. Like, you, you, uh, you cry during commercials. You yeah. leave notes around the house. Flowers once a week. I'm glad my wife's not listening to this podcast because her expectations <laughs> would go through the roof. Uh, and, then it, and then it leads me to that other podcast I want to do about a whole podcast uh, called Why Did We Break Up? But uh, it's a I podcast. I can't wait where, for that one. I'm yeah. not going to be a part of it, but I can't uh, wait to listen. It's going it's, it's to be, be one episode probably. <laughs> 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 and then you're going to look for another co- another host of it. Yeah, oh. that's, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. All right, well, enjoy, uh, enjoy Valentine's Day. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. So here's the time of the show where we pass the can. Please rate and review the podcast. Share it with your friends. It is it is a different kind of basketball podcast. I listen to a ton of them. I consume. I think I was told this week that I that I listen to too many things, and but I'm always trying to learn something. So hopefully you learn something from the two of us and John Barry. So make sure you rate and review the show on iTunes and share it with your friends. Yeah, I I thought for sure Noah, you were gonna say that at some. I, never mind. I, I I had a thought here, but instead I just I want to thank people because I know it's a big tradition of yours to thank man, our producer. Oh my God, Bruce Bernstein. I want to no, thank no, Jeff Torini who's edited, editing. It gets edited out anyway. What you oh. think to me? Yeah, uh, no. we're, you're, right. you're the star. You're the star of the show. Stop thanking people. What about the Pure Hoops Media team? Yeah. The Catch and Shoot podcast is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.